straight efficiency with NACFI's Mike Roth and Friends. In episode 59, we have joining us Anthony Egert, director of Climate Works Foundation, where he talks about his first zero emission vehicle, a mostly wooden go-kart. <laughs> and he also talks about the audacious goals of the Drive Electric campaign, the importance of working together across businesses to achieve the goals to speed the scaling of electric vehicles, and how failing fast can lead to success. We talk about the success of EV adoption in Norway and Shenzhen, China, and he also reminds us that it will take both the supply side and the demand side to enable this rapid transition to electric vehicles. Today we have joining me Anthony Eggert. Anthony is the director of Climate Works Foundation, and it's a real pleasure having you on today, Anthony. It's great to be here, Mike. This podcast is titled Freight Efficiency with NACFI's Mike Roth and Friends. And when I'm out there, people get a chuckle out of how I always start these with um, asking my friend, I guess, first of all, to make sure they're still a friend. And then secondly, <laughs> uh, how did we first meet? So do you remember? You know, I, I can't recall exactly. I know that we've been um, connected through the RMI, uh, formerly Rocky Mountain Institute, uh, the likes of Clay Stranger and, and Dave Mullaney. And they've spoken highly of your work uh, for many years. Um, so I know I've at least come to know your work through them. I think it might have been Anand when he was ah. at Hewlett. Yeah, that sounds right. So uh, yeah, Anand Gopal was a program officer at the Hewlett Foundation, um, doing basically developing a strategy for philanthropy to accelerate the transition to zero emission trucks. Um, and he had come across your work as well and, and was uh, saying that I had to meet this guy. I don't know that I know anybody that's quite as passionate about electric vehicles as you are. So, you know, how did this all come to be? And uh, just take us through your, your past. I think like you, I grew up in the Midwest, uh, northern rural Wisconsin. <clears throat> we had no, no cable, no cell phones. Um, and my parents were um, very much encouraging me to go out and explore the world. My dad was sort of an amateur ecologist. I uh, used to go on long walks through the woods. Um, he'd, you know, point out, you know, different types of plants and ecosystems. And my mom was a master woodworker who kind of taught me about, you know, how to make things and make things work. <clears throat> In fact, my very first, I guess you could call it a zero emission vehicle was a, a wooden go-kart that I put together from old pieces of wood and a <clears throat> broken down lawnmower. And it, you, you needed to push it up the hill. Uh, that was its, its power, uh, gravity. And it, uh, fortunately it didn't, the wheels didn't come off. Uh, when we were going uh, top speeds. Uh, but that basically gave me kind of an appreciation for both the natural environment and also how um, you could sort of put things together to you know, create things that were useful or at least entertaining. My very first, I guess, real job was actually on a dairy farm, uh, a small family farm of uh, Holstein cows, um, which both uh, taught me the meaning of hard work and that I really should go to college because uh, I didn't really want to become a farmer. That kind of led me to a career or at least a degree in engineering. So I did mechanical engineering at Wisconsin, Madison. Um, and that led me to my first job uh, out of college, which was Ford Motor Company. And in that uh, position, I worked both on sort of the advanced vehicles at the time. This was actually the early days of electric vehicles, uh, late 90s, early 2000s, uh, both, both electric and fuel cell vehicles. And I also worked in their uh, government affairs, sort of it was called the Vehicle Environmental Engineering Group, which uh, let me see how policy kind of shaped uh, business practice and investment and, uh, and saw how 
a company like Ford, you know, sort of met the challenge of regulation through innovative investments in, in technology. And uh, that, after another stint in, in uh, graduate school at, at Davis, um, became a regulator for the state of California, uh, working specifically on climate policies and, and clean vehicle policies. And I think it was sort of that whole arc that led me to appreciate both the challenge that we face in, in terms of climate change and, and environmental uh, damage that's associated with you know, our current system of transportation mm -hmm. and uh, the potential for uh, much, much, much cleaner technologies uh, that could be motivated through policy. Um, and so it was those two that, that led me to even my current position where, you know, we get to support organizations that are helping to make that happen. So it's been, it's been a great uh, trip so far uh, and uh, really great to be able to work with uh, partners like yourself. Yeah, and that's another area, I guess, where we're aligned, you know, spending time in industry and then finding our way to these positions. So, so tell me about the Drive Electric campaign. I mean, what is it? Why is it so important? And how does it fit in the overall work that uh, ClimateWorks does? Sure. So, yeah, so the Drive Electric campaign is a, a collaborative effort um, that we've built collectively with many, many partners. Uh, there's now over 80 partners that are active members of the campaign, which aim to accelerate the transition from uh, polluting vehicles to clean, uh, renewably powered electric drive vehicles for all of road transport. And we have some fairly audacious goals. So we're aiming to uh, achieve 100% sales of zero emission buses, two and three wheelers by 2030 globally, 100% of uh, passenger car sales by 2035, and 100% of zero emission truck sales of all types of trucks by 2040. And those, those are ambitious goals, but they are oh. what we need to get to in order to address the climate challenge. Yeah, yeah. And, and you know, I, so we, we became involved, NACFI became involved um, about three years ago, two, two to three years ago with um, some funding you were able to help us with for our electric projects or, or electric truck projects and you know we were already working with RMI, CalStart and ICCT just a few of the players but man it's been incredibly rewarding to link up with some of those uh, other groups I mean it, it's it's driven me personally um, Anthony to, to, to you know have a quicker urgency around all this um, and also just opened my eyes to a lot of the I hate to call it the, another side of this, but, you know, I, I spend so much and we spend so much of our time with the industry players, the truck builders, the carriers, the shippers, the, the people moving all these goods and who, quite frankly, are going to be the ones that make the change happen. Um, and so it's, it's really rewarding. Um, and, and so, like, how, how does what I just said resonate with you? I mean, is that, um, is that the intention of, of, the, of the campaign in, 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 you know, maybe not the primary one, but a secondary one? Yeah, I mean, to, to reach these goals is going to re really require us to work together across uh, business, both the uh, you know producers of, of vehicles and trucks, uh, the, the the buyers of those, uh, the fleets, the shippers, um, government, uh, which adopts the policies that uh, send the signals to the industry in terms of investment, and civil society, which uh, are the groups that work both to provide the research that shows the benefits of the transition, uh, the sort of the coalitions that uh, help create political will for action, and then uh, uh, groups that provide sort of technical assistance and 
information to uh, both government and business on sort of the uh, good design of policy, um, best practices for um, uh, you know investing in things like infrastructure and, and transition to these cleaner technologies. So to do this uh, at speed and scale, which is which is necessary, um, really requires all component parts of that ecosystem. And so it's great to be you know on the philanthropic side, we could just, we could support the great work of of people like you. Um, who are really doing the hard work of the campaign, um, which is, again, sh showing the benefits, busting the myths, um, showing that this is both possible, beneficial, um, and helping uh, the key stakeholders get there. Yeah, and I got to tell you, you know, we've come so far so fast. I mean, there was a time, Anthony, oh man, not that long ago. Um, I'll put it maybe let's say six, seven years ago, I wouldn't even use the word carbon. I was careful to even use the word emissions. You know, we'd been through 20 years of NOx and particulate matter, you know, pollutant emission um, efforts where, you know, every three years we had a new EPA level that, that the trucking industry was meeting. And it, um, you know, it was, it, it's hugely successful. I mean, you know, the black smoke's gone and those things have, have come so far, uh, you know, nationally and internationally um but now uh you know there's a definite turn i mean you know all of these companies are very climate driven um they tend to use the word sustainability and not climate or other terms but um it's all it's all you know uh moving in the same way so uh how do you think of you know NACFI a little bit i mean how do you think about our role in all this because i got to tell you there's times where it feels really lonely like we're in the middle we're in the middle of all those actors that that don't always get along that you mentioned a few minutes ago what's some advice maybe you have for us as we navigate all that let me first address your the first point of your your comment which is that we have uh, significantly reduced sort of um, criteria pollutants uh, through regulation and through the um, adding you know things like catalytic converters and and um, you know advanced uh, after treatment systems for traditional pollutants um, that has been quite a success story um, and again, that's sort of a combination of both regulation and innovation on the part of industry and in meeting that, that challenge. But we still have a situation where uh, even in the US, about four in 10 people live in areas with uh, error that's considered to be unhealthy. Um, and, and that causes you know, real damage to people's livelihoods and, and uh, health. And of course, as you noted, you know, climate change uh, is, is one of the defining challenges of our time. And we are sort of running out of time to address it. Um, at least to avoid the worst uh, consequences. And so I think there's sort of a, you know, a, a, an imperative here that we have to kind of recognize that, you know, our current system is just not sustainable. Um, and of course, it, it is based almost entirely on oil, um, which fuels petro dictators and, and you know, wars uh, around the world. And so we, we have to have, we, we have to find something better. And the good news is that there is something better. And it's not just better from the perspective of health and climate, but this has the potential to be kind of better in all dimensions. This can uh, be more affordable. Um, it can provide, um, you know, savings on fuel, savings on maintenance. Um, if, if you've ever driven one of these uh, vehicles, which I know you have, um, they actually just perform better. They have better acceleration, better ride and handling. Um, and as the technology is improving, um, it's addressing, you know, what remaining, um, you know, challenges might exist with respect to, you know, range and refueling time and such. Um, and so I think this is kind of a, an exciting moment 
where we're looking at not just bolting on another piece of you know emissions control technology, which is going to add to the cost, um, but to actually transition to an entirely new powertrain uh, that comes with all of these benefits uh, and more. And so uh, that that to me is what what gets me really excited about uh, this potential uh, transition. And you know now we just need to get to work to to make it happen. Yeah, and I totally agree with all that. I mean, our own journey here at NACFI, um, you know, the we often call them, um, well, first of all, there is the fuel savings and other cost savings with these vehicles that um, are hard costs that, uh, you know, are really coming to light. Um, you know, trucks are still expensive, which, you know, battery packs are still expensive. We got, and charging infrastructure, but, but all of those things are being worked on really hard and we're in the very early nascent stages. Um, but, you know, one of the things you mentioned that we're finding is what we're calling hard to monetize benefits or difficult to monetize benefits. And they show up all over the place from drivers loving them to, you know, simpler trucks to, in some cases, trucks not needing to have, you know, maintenance intervals or even having outside maintenance. They can be done at, you know, the maintenance is so simple, it can be done at a fleet location and so forth. So there's just we're piling those up and talking about those with the industry, um, uh, you know, really all the time, um, you know, uh, back on drive electric, uh, you know, one of the things I've really enjoyed is uh, those convenings. And, uh, you know, we've, we've gotten together with the many of those, of those people, of those players, those actors that you were talking about, um, you know, in a couple spots. And, you know, for me, it's been really rewarding getting, uh, hands-on working sessions sort of locked in a hotel and so forth, but also getting out into where this is really happening. You know, the Japanese call it Gemba, and I, I, uh, I, I quoted a number of times, you know, go and see. And so when you go out and see, it really energizes where things are actually happening and scaling. And so thank you for that. And um, kind of uh, are others saying the same thing? They get involved in those, uh, in those uh, meetings. Yeah, yeah. So, so the uh, the meetings that you talk. So we have a, an advisory group that gathers to talk about sort of shared challenges and opportunities for the campaign. Um, and so, you know, they identify those areas of most interest. Um, you know, we've recently come together to talk about infrastructure challenges and solutions, um, solutions to accelerate the transition to zero emission trucks, as as we've been talking about. And what's great about them, as you note, is it's really sort of solutions oriented. And it includes uh, folks who come from a quite diverse uh, variety of perspectives. So <clears throat> there's people that are working directly with the fleets like yourself, um, who hear you know, firsthand kind of what the challenges and the perspectives are. There are people that are working directly with government uh, policymakers who are you know, both trying to understand what is the right uh, composition and makeup of uh, effective policy design that can actually again, sort of motivate and facilitate uh, the transition. And then there's uh, quite a few groups that are working uh, with civil society. So these are the environmental organizations, the uh, health groups uh, like American Lung Association, uh, the groups that are working with frontline communities that are sort of most impacted by uh, the pollution of the current system. And so bringing those uh, voices together to kind of come up with, with common solutions um, is one of the more powerful elements of the campaign. <clears throat> and then, as you noted, we often try to, to do those in places where you can actually uh, see, touch, and feel uh, the solutions. So the most recent meeting was in uh, Norway, which is sort of like stepping into the future uh, for uh, electric transportation, where we got to see 
of course, the significant uh, percentage of uh, electric vehicles for passengers. That's at now over 80% of sales are, are electric vehicles in Norway. Wow. Um, we got to see electric delivery uh, uh, trucks um, operating in the city center, electric buses, um, even electric excavation equipment. Um, they've converted you know, some of their uh, 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 sort of construction equipment all over to electric and then get to hear from them kind of how they made that happen. Yeah, the one so, thing yeah. one thing that struck with me a lot, and in particular the trucking work, was the electric ferries. You know, they get a they get a long charge overnight, and I'm guessing that's only a few hours when the ferries aren't running in the night. But then they, every time they dock, they get a quick opportunity charge, something like we've seen with transit buses. Um, but I, I see that that you know MCS, the megawatt charging standard, was was uh, released just recently, and so. You know, it's not here right now, but coming soon uh, to you, as they say, you know, is this fast charging and, and, uh, you know, doing that when there are dwell times that aren't hours long, but, you know, quarter hours or even minutes long. I think the ferry was only stopped like eight or 10 minutes, but was able to get, um, you know, a, a battery charge or a, a lift and battery charge. So um, very good. Hey, one thing you've mentioned very specific with me um, that I want to ask you about is uh, you, you talked about, you know, early on in the adoption cycle. So, you know, maybe when, you know, we have cars sitting, I don't know, at six, 7% in the United States and, you know, trucks lower than that. But um, that in the early stages that there's a lot of, uh, you know, failing will occur and we need to be comfortable with that failing. And it happens to, I think you use the words, you know, fail fast. Um, and I've always struggled with that, Anthony. I'm, I'm not, a, I hate to be a loser. I hate to lose at anything, even when I can justify it for future learnings. Um, but, uh, you know, you talked about Shenzhen and even Norway and, and some of their adoption and how it was a lot of struggle and failing in the early times in order to then succeed later. Walk us through that and maybe do a little prediction on how you see that happen and maybe in North American trucking. Yeah, yeah, sure. So um, I think this, maybe this kind of, the, a comfort of uh, with failing kind of comes from, you know, my history with engineering, which is that, you know, you, you try a lot of things, um, many of them, perhaps even most of them don't work. Um, and then through, you know, trial and error and, you know, real world, uh, experimentation, you eventually find, you know, solutions that are durable, um, you know, in real world applications. And, you know, that that has been sort of the history of, of engineered technologies for since the beginning of, of time. And uh, it's not any different with electric drive technologies. And so when we think about, you know, th this transition, we need to think about what are the, the, what are the ways in which we can be sort of durable and resilient to failure? And so uh, Norway is, is a good example of that. They actually started their uh, path towards electrification in the late 90s, uh, mid to late 90s. And um, early on, they tried a whole bunch of things. They tried all sorts of different types of incentives. Um, uh, they tried to support supporting a domestic uh, industry. And most of those did not really succeed. Um, and they actually, it's, it's a little bit of a different story between, say, Norway and Shenzhen. So with Norway, they, they kept at it. Um, and they got a little bit of a boost uh, actually from California, um, which was when California had um, adopted the zero emission vehicle uh, sales regulation, which is now called the Advanced Clean Cars Regulation. And that uh, required an increasing percentage of sales of electric vehicles uh, over time from the major manufacturers. And it was about the time that that uh, standard started to bite in the late uh, 2000s, early 2010s, 
when uh, the likes of the, the Nissan Leaf, the BMW i3, uh, started to come on the market. And then these policies in Norway that had been sort of curated and cultivated for a long time, now all of a sudden there was product available and they, it just, the, really, the market really took off there. Um, and there was, theirs was primarily a, a system of sort of incentives and, and disincentives for, so incentives for EVs, disincentives for, for combustion vehicles. Um, but you needed that other uh, sort of forcing function on the supply side uh, that then created the conditions for, for a successful market. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And, and then I think the important part of that policy is that it is also quite resilient to experimentation and failure. It doesn't select a particular technology path. In fact, it allowed for many different types of electric and fuel cell vehicles, plug-in hybrids. And so the industry, um, you know, with their engineers, tried a bunch of different things, different product types. Um, quite a few of those did not succeed, uh, but those that did kind of emerged. Uh, Tesla was a, an emergent uh, success from that those early days, and they benefited significantly uh, from those policies. And so now you have this sort of robust ecosystem of products that are going into a very successful policy framework that they have in Norway. So maybe on that point, the policy drove the um, certainty of adoption and then the individual solutions, um, you know, which then work you know, can be left up to, to industry. I know I'm, I'm summarizing way too high, but that was kind I, of the- I, I, think you're exactly, of the... I think you're exactly right. No, it's, it's left up to the market um, and all of the different industry players, including, including the buyers, um, you know, finding the solutions that work for them. So yeah, this is a, this is a, a success story that requires both uh, effective regulation and sort of your traditional market forces that sort of weed out the best uh, solutions um, you know, from the pack. Um, Shenzhen, I'll just maybe real briefly touch on Shenzhen because it's, it's a slightly different story, but it has kind of similar elements to it. So their first um, big success uh, was with buses. And um, you know, a lot of people sort of see this really rapid uh, ramp that occurred in around 2016, 2017, where they went from just a few hundred buses to over 16,000. And now it's, uh, it was 100% of the fleet very, very quickly thereafter. Um, over 16,000 buses operating in the city on electric electric power, uh, but they had started actually seven years prior. Um, and if you talk to their um, bus managers, they went through many, many, many different bus designs and charging protocols, and and most of those failed. Um, and they they kept at it, uh, you know, one after the other until they found a combination solution that sort of worked, and that gave them the confidence then to take it to scale. Yeah, yeah. There's now similarly seeing. Um, with their delivery trucks. Uh, when we were there in uh, 2017, 2018, um, they had already um, managed to facilitate a transition to over 60,000 uh, electric delivery trucks. There's a great RMI, RMI report on this. Mm -hmm. and, and again, it was sort of, a, it was um, cultivating an ecosystem of a multitude of manufacturers. Uh, in fact, at one point they had uh, over 50 manufacturers of electric cargo trucks um, and uh, they provided uh, some carrots, uh, like in the form of incentives and charging infrastructure that was available to those trucks, and some sticks. So things like zero emission zones, where if you were a electric truck, you got sort of prefer preferential access mm -hmm. uh, for delivery. And through that, the market 
uh, basically found the, the best solutions. And now I think there are well over 100,000 of those trucks. Let's like hone in on, on North American trucking, you know, US, Canada, and Mexico. And, um, you know, what, what do you want to see or expect to see like successes in the next three years? So kind of successes in the short term that will build us to that fast adoption curve you're talking about a little down the road. Um, what, what comes to mind, maybe the top few things? Uh, one other thing my dad was, was that he was an economics professor. And so uh, one of the things, you know, he taught me is successful market requires uh, supply and demand. And so maybe to sort of oversimplify a little bit is to focus on supply and demand. And then I would add infrastructure, um, which of course is, uh, enables the, um, the use case for, for many of these products. And so on the supply side, uh, there are now some very exciting uh, collaborative efforts across states. Uh, so there's 15 states now that have that are working collaboratively together on a memorandum of understanding and an action plan for the transition to zero emission trucks. Uh, several of those states, uh, six of them, have adopted one of the strongest policies uh, for the supply side called the Advanced Clean Truck Rule, um, which basically provides a very strong incentive for truck manufacturers to increase the sale, the percentage of sales of zero emission trucks across all classes. So class uh, 2B3 all the way up to class eight uh, long haul. And um, that, th that policy now covers about 20% of the US market. Um, and then on the demand side, you know, there's more and more fleets and, and you're working with many of them uh, that have committed to being leaders uh, in this transition. And so working collaboratively with those fleets through uh, organizations like NACFI, um, there's the Corporate Electric Vehicle Alliance, which is uh, run by a series, an organization called Ceres, which is a partner of ours. Uh, there's a, a group called EV100 and EV100 Plus, which is part of the, the climate group um, that is also now adding uh, trucks, uh, including heavy trucks to their um, uh, sort of business uh, platform, uh, which is sort of supporting adoption. And then, uh, and then, yeah, I think sort of partnering again with both government and civil society to ensure that we've got the right policy set to enable an efficient deployment of both the, the product and the infrastructure to serve that. Um, we have now, you know, with the infrastructure bill that was, was signed in the US, um, several billions of dollars, some of which could be made available uh, to serve this market. And states are, are increasingly stepping up, uh, California in particular is, you know, going to be spending well over a billion dollars, uh, including on infrastructure. And so we're in a moment where we have the potential to try a lot of things very, very fast. Um, and to my earlier point, not, not all of those are going to succeed, but I'm quite confident enough of them will. And if we have the infrastructure to learn quickly and share those lessons across the system, then we can, we can enable a very, very rapid transition. Actually, I think trucks may go faster than cars. Once these products are available at a reasonable price, which is coming soon, you know, this, I think this market could flip extremely fast. Thank you so much for joining me, Anthony. I gotta stop there. Uh, have a great day. All right, thanks a lot. Freight Efficiency with NACFI's Mike Roth and Friends.